the quality that I had, which is which I feel is most important in the in the function is is the ability to build rapport really quickly and to earn trust really quickly um, because everybody's going to have their guard up no matter what you're selling. Um, so if you can overcome that in a shorter amount of time, that's going to ultimately set you up to, to win the, the sale. Um, so some of those things came more naturally to me, uh, like in growing up, I, you know, I was always like being very friendly and just always, uh, kind of building rapport with all types of groups of different people. Um, I was in band, I was in, I played on the football team. So I, I learned how to interact with different types of people too. Uh, but the, the trust factor is just the, the biggest piece that, that people need to learn. Um, uh, and that, that's what a buyer looks for is to, if, if they're going to sign, they, they want to know that they could trust you. And, and that has to happen earlier in, in that in that relationship. Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, where we help you navigate the emotional and promotional sides of the job search so you can change careers with confidence. My name is Martin McGovern, founder and lead coach of Career Therapy, and I'm excited to introduce our guest today. Please welcome Eddie Patch to the podcast. Eddie is the CEO and co-founder at PartnerPortal.io. He built his sales career with companies including AdRoll, Groupon, and Searchmetrics, and he's also responsible for some of my favorite guilty pleasure television shows that I used to watch in my youth, including recruiting folks to be on the MTV show, Parental Control, which was one of my favorite cringe-worthy dating shows back in the day. Today, we talk about how old school sales tactics are changing as new technologies, pandemic forces, and generational changes reshape our world. Eddie shares his thoughts on how non-salespeople can leverage different approaches to build their confidence in their job search. And we discuss the nuances of showcasing value and the idea of faking it till you make it in both sales and in your career. Thank you for tuning in and supporting our show. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes and share this with someone that you know who is struggling in their job search. We're on a mission to help people build confidence in their careers, and we really hope that this show can help. So put your feet up, relax, and listen in to our conversation with Eddie Patch. Today's episode is brought to you by HireEct.us, a free app that lets hiring teams and candidates instantly chat about incredible job opportunities. If you're a hiring manager, CEO, or recruiter, download the HireEct app to see a curated list of talented individuals and accelerate your hiring process 10 times faster than traditional ways. And if you're a job seeker, join the platform to start talking to decision makers at startups who are ready to hire. Businesses grow faster when everyone is communicating seamlessly. Download HireEct.us, that's H-I-R-E-C-T dot U-S today. It's good to be back. Come <laughs> around. Hell yeah. Um, I'm really excited to chat because you've got a lot of really cool stuff going on with Portal, uh, your company. And there's just so much happening in the world right now, uh, you know, technologically, uh, pandemic wise. And, you know, sales is such a critical part of the job search, as well as there's so many people trying to get careers in sales right now. And so I think there's just a lot that we can talk about in regards to communication, in regards to technology, in regards to how things are shifting and maybe even generational shifts of of what's going on in this uh, in this marketplace, and I want to sort of kick things off before we start looking at like 
what has changed about sales and and what people can learn about these new forms of communication that are you know popping up all over the place. I want to take a look back. What was what was getting into sales like for you when you first entered the field, um, and what was the environment like? Yeah. Um, so nobody really sets out to be in sales. Uh, very few people say, Hey, I want to be go in sales. Um, usually the ones that go into it are they had some exposure or some understanding from a, a friend or somebody that's already in it. Um, and even that first person probably kind of stumbled into it. It's, it's changing a little bit now where people can go to school for, for sales related courses and, and degrees. But um, when I first came in, it, it just wasn't really a thing. Um, also, uh, there was always kind of a negative connotation with sales, which admittedly still probably exists in a lot of ways in a lot of industries. Um, so it was kind of the last thing that I was, I was thinking about doing. Um, I went into my school, uh, I went to Chapman out in California and I did a PR advertising major with a psychology minor. Um, I was gonna go into advertising and, and use my, psychic, my psychology abilities to come up with really uh, mind-bending ads. Um, but what it turned out was that that industry was just, it, it was kind of a hard industry to break into initially as a, a college grad. Um, instead, I got picked up into um, MTV. So I actually started working at MTV as my first job. And I was doing casting and so I was casting people onto some shows I think I've told you about, uh, tr like True Life, but even better, Parental Control. <laughs> and um, so I was convincing and convincing people to go put their lives on national television for MTV. And uh, a buddy of mine just kind of pointed out one day, he's like, look, you're, you're already in sales. You're, you're already selling people to go put their life on, on national exposure. Uh, why don't you consider a sales role? Um, so that was the first time I, I started to really think about it as a, as a profession. Um, and then, um, yeah, my early days in sales were very much uh, the boiler room type environments, like very much so. Uh, my first job here in when I moved to Chicago um, was a, a glamorous office in the NBC Tower until you walked in and realized what you were doing. And uh, we were just working off a stack of leads uh, that, that were printed uh, and just cold calling CEOs from, from billion dollar companies and, and trying to convince them to go, come to this event that, that we were putting on. Um, if you uh, were good on the phone, you would earn computer time. Uh, so if you earned your computer time, that's when you would get to go print your own leads. Um, so that, that was my early days in sales. And of course, it's, it's a change and evolved a lot uh, since then. Yeah, I wonder if those rooms still exist. Even um, it just sounds it, it sounds so very like two thousands, you know. Um, but that sounds like eighty. But this I know. was in two thousand nine, two thousand ten. I mean, it wasn't too long ago. Yeah, and it it is funny because I think back to those times, and I'm like, I remember um, when I was in my first job, just trying to work remote. Like we had desktop computers when I first started. We didn't even have laptops, and so the idea of working remote, I had to like log in from this like crummy IBM computer I had at home. And it took like two and a half hours to just log into this like yeah. multi-layered system. But yeah, it, it is crazy how things have changed. And, um, you know, that, that sort of boiler room type environment, I think that that 
I think there's a lot of stereotypes around the world of sales, maybe some justified, maybe some not. And I'm kind of curious, like when it comes to those stereotypes, how do you look at them? Do you view them as like, actually, yeah, that's kind of how it is, or people have a, maybe a skewed perspective on it, or maybe it's just contextual. What, what stereotypes do you feel are warranted and which ones do you feel are maybe a little overblown? Yeah. I mean, the, the stereotype that's warranted is that it's an absolute grind to have one of those jobs and it's, it's stressful. Um, you're constantly getting hung up on you're you're dealing with like the true, uh, behaviors that, that people talk about in, in a sales world. But one of the things that's interesting about it is that I, when I'm hiring, I will dig in and ask people the same question. Um, even if they're 15, 20 years into their career, I do want to know how they started their, their sales career. And a lot of times, if, if they give me an answer that's around something similar, like that type of environment, uh, maybe they went door to door and, and sold knives at Cutco or something. But that, that start to sales is such a great foundation to have, even for the largest enterprise brands that are, are people that are in sales, because it shows to me that they went through that and they went through the, the grind of having to pick up the phone and make 150 dials a day uh, they know what it takes to have that type of work ethic and I, and not that i would expect them to do it for me now but at least i know that they had those humble beginnings and they they did put in the, the dues that were required to be good and, and learn pick up on the things that would make them a better seller today yeah and it's it's quite interesting because a lot of times people are pretty negative about marketing and sales and i'll even admit you know when i was in advertising i got a little jaded here and there right um, but these are incredibly necessary pieces of any business, right? Like a business can't function without it. And honestly, our careers can't function without a little bit of salesmanship. So even people that aren't in sales really do need to learn the basics of sales. And I, and it, kind of what you're talking about that cold calling. I remember one of my first internships in college, I was working at a, a movie PR company and our entire job was to get people to free early viewings of movies, like just give out uh -huh. free movie tickets to people. And the difficulty we had getting people to just take free movie tickets blew my mind. Like, it's like, we're just calling and giving you free tickets to the movies. And people were like, what's, what's the catch? What are you trying to get from me? We're like, we just need right. butts and seats to see how you react to this awful Sydney white movie with Amanda Bynes. <laughs> and so it's really funny to sort of, you know, uh, look at the, maybe the, a bit of the ridiculousness of it, but also understanding like how necessary it is. And, um, you know, before you actually realized you were a salesperson and before you were at MTV, like, did you have that natural tendency to like be a little bit more salesy or is that something that you sort of had to develop within yourself? No, I, I, I was not by any means. Like, um, I, I may have been, Kind of like undercover persuasive, but never a, a true sale like sales persuasive. That wasn't a quality that I had. The quality that I had, which is which I feel is most important in the in the function, is is the ability to build rapport really quickly and to earn trust really quickly, um, because everybody's going to have their guard up no matter what you're selling. Um, so if you can overcome that in a shorter amount of time, that's going to ultimately set you up to to win the the sale. Um, so some of those things came more naturally to me, uh, like in growing up, I, you know, I was always like being very friendly and just always, uh, kind of building rapport with all types of groups of different people. 
Um, I was in band. I was in, I played on the football team. So I, I learned how to interact with different types of people too. Uh, but the, the trust factor is just the, the biggest piece that, that people need to learn. Um, uh, and that, that's what a buyer looks for is to, if, if they're going to sign, they, they want to know that they could trust you. And, and that has to happen earlier in, in that in that relationship. I love that you just said rapport and trust, because those are the literally the two words that I tell people whenever they're going into interviews. Um, I'm always like the main things you have to do in this interview is build rapport and build trust. It's kind of crazy that you yeah. pulled those same two words out. And I, oh, think, yeah. Yeah. I think most people are focused on all the wrong things when they, when they are trying to sell themselves or build their career or something like that. They're focused on like being right. They're focused on sounding intelligent. They're focused on looking good rather than actually connecting. And this like prevents people from asking good questions or prevents people from being curious or, or even just getting out of their own head and thinking about the problem they're trying to solve for the other person, right? And so I think that's one of the biggest shifts and one of the biggest positives of being in sales or of done, doing sales at some point in your life is that, you know, there are metrics that salespeople have to hit, right? So it is about you. But if you only think about hitting your metrics, you're going to shoot yourself in your in the foot, right? And so like, yep. how do you sort of maybe help people learn how to put the, the customer first in some ways. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the metrics that a lot of early sellers hone in on or folk over folk prioritize are the end metrics of a closed deal and the revenue that's generated and how many closed one deals I had for the, the quarter or whatever it might be. But there's so many interesting activities and engagements and events that occur prior to a closed one deal. And it can, all of that can be measured with a really uh, well thought out process. Um, so things that, for example, if you're, if you have a focus in a job interview on building rapport and trust, you know, the end goal becomes getting the job, but there's 10 steps that have to happen before you get the job and rapport and trust would be the first and second. Um, and so if you start to measure the, the more of the intangibles in, in some way, um, where I'm, I can check off and say, hey, I feel that I, I did develop a rapport in that first interview. And the questions that they're asking me now, I do feel like I've, I've earned the trust of, of this hiring manager. Um, if I start to measure myself on those and I have a really specific formula that I'm, I'm following there, it becomes a little easier to, to remove those non, the, the non-tangibles and, and focus less on the end and more on the process. Yeah, if, if you could break down the process, what do you think maybe the phases are of building trust, getting into someone's good graces, and then getting a sale? What would that sort of arc look like? Is it different every time? Or are there kind of, you know, typical patterns that emerge? Um, it's definitely different every time. Um, tr the trust and rapport, for sure. If I feel like I, I get to a point where we're, we're having um, kind of impromptu dialogue or impromptu interaction, uh, if I can get them onto a texting level, like, like, a, like a buddy, um, that's when I know I've earned the, the trust and rapport. And that, that means I could actually start to push a little bit more in terms of urgency. That means I could push a little more in terms of like what I feel like they should be buying or, and, and then kind of go from there. Um, but the underlying piece that's happening along the way is the value. So have I, have I shown them the value that it, this is going to help them? Uh, have they had their light bulb moment? Um, and, and did I recognize when that moment happened? And so that, that's kind of part of the arc. 
Um, additionally, from there, it's 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 when the buyer is asking really specific questions and buying questions, um, and I've I've recognized that they've actually been talking about it internally, and there's a, a clear uh, movement happening. Um, that that's part of the arc too, because I, I can't go and forecast a sale until I know all of, all of those things have happened. Um, but that, I would say those, those four things are probably the most consistent in, in terms of that, that process. Yeah, and I want to I dig into that value piece a little bit because um, I think that's also something that people struggle with um, in both mm -hmm. selling themselves to become salespeople and in just the yeah. general job search overall, right? Like the kind of cliche I always make is like Nike doesn't say buy our shoes so that our shareholders can make more money right? It's a terrible sales tactic. <laughs> and so yeah. like for us to say like, buy this product so I can hit, you know, my, my benchmarks or, or, uh, you know, hire me so that I can get mentorship and, and, and a paycheck, obviously like these are, these are things that we think, right? Everyone needs money. Everyone needs a job. Everyone needs a paycheck, but we have to present ourselves as, as problem solvers and not just using the word, I solve problems, but like being specific about that and really connecting with the needs of the person that we're talking to. And so what, what are some of the things that have helped you showcase that value quickly, or maybe not even quickly, but like most effectively uh, through your years in sales? Yeah. So we could break it down in two parts of a sale and then, a you know, trying to get hired for a, a role. Um, so the value starts very high level so from a, a buyer buying a software they know or they've recognized or they've read that they need to implement x software um, because it does y um, and so they've, they've kind of high level realized that, that that's what they need to go out and buy um, the value point is when they not only realize that um, exactly what they're going to be able to solve but they they start to have the light bulb moment of this is the company that's going to be able to solve exactly what I'm trying to do. And they've, they've clearly outlined the value that aligns exactly with what we're doing. So it becomes less of the, the high level. We need this tool to, we need X company uh, to, to be the solution. And the, the same thing happens uh, from the value that is produced and created within a, a candidate or someone in, uh, looking to get a new role the hiring manager goes out and creates a job job description. Um, they know that they need to fill this specific type of function and, and role. The value and realization of that hiring manager is when they decide that the person I'm talking to is the value and is, is the epitome of exactly, exactly what I'm looking for. Um, and that person has demonstrated the value so that it aligns with their goals or with, the, with the business. Um, so there, there's definitely parallels between the two, um, but I think it's it's when it comes into that more like funnel funnel version of of this is the specific exactly what I need versus you know that general initial thought. Yeah, I think that's really really important to keep in mind because it really does kind of connect. It it almost takes the pressure off in some ways, right? Like if if it's about if your whole goal is to be impressive or know everything or like have every answer. You're, not, you're gonna get too caught up in your head trying to like mitigate every situation. But if your goal is to be helpful and solve problems and like understand and ask questions, it really does shift things. And I think that yeah. that's one of the things that people don't realize about sales. They don't realize that 
learning this skill doesn't make you some weird, you know, creepy Wolf of Wall Street, you know, uh, con artist. It makes you stronger. It makes you more confident. It makes you someone who can advocate for yourself and the things that that you want to do. And um, people are really scared, especially if they've never done sales before. Um, they're really scared to pick up that phone, to send that email, to make that call. And I almost mm-hmm. wonder, and we can start digging into like the changes that have happened over the years, if the pandemic and the isolation and the lack of interpersonal contact has almost made people even more uh, nervous about it. And one of the things that I've learned about sales is that, you know, I'm, I'm a massive, I'm an introvert who's super anxious. So like when I started even just trying to get people to take free movie tickets, I was like sweating on the phone talking to these people. (laughs) And, uh, but over time you build a thicker skin. And I think people don't always realize that like, it does work. Like you will build that skin over time. And I'm kind of curious, what does the process I think people think that salespeople are just confident from day one. And it's from my experience, that's absolutely not the case. So like, what, are, what do you sort of see as like the growth pattern of salespeople from maybe lacking some of that confidence to becoming like top tier salespeople? Yeah. Um, so no, yeah, no one starts confident on the, on the phone. Um, you, so there's a kind of a, a, an evolution that happens. Like when I was at that boiler room calling call center, it's it's hard to admit this but i i created a persona of myself that was not me um and it gave me that fake it till you make it type confidence to to make those calls to these you know multi-decade executives that were had been in business way years more than i had been in um i created tactics uh to get past assistants and gatekeepers um i put on a fake british accent um, to, to get past them, like literally like things like that, um, which are just like, a just demonstrates the, the level of persona I was trying to create. And this is something that a lot of sellers do, uh, especially early. Um, but what happens, the most important part for that chasm and the change is to, when you realize that people buy from people and the, the mo the best way you could look uh, be, become feel like a real person to somebody is, is demonstrating humility, uh, humility and being able to admit when you're wrong, whether you're in, in an interview or during a sale, um, actually is a, a bonding uh, mechanism that, that can take place if, if, if done accurately and, and properly, um, you can't go around kind of admitting that you, you're, you have no idea what's going on, but if, if there's a question that you don't know the answer to in a sale, there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, I've, you know, just to be honest, that's, that hasn't come up for me and reassuring them that you're going to get them the right answer or giving them a parallel of, of a solution that, that was something that you do know that you can reference and bring in. But being able to admit when you're wrong um, and admit when you don't know something, it, for a lot of people, it's, a, it's an ego check, but um, it actually can go a long way from, in terms of demonstrating and creating that, that bond and that trust. Um, so really good sellers aren't hesitant to, to have that humility. And some of the best sellers I know were not the most confident people either. Uh, they knew their stuff, but they, they didn't always give off, off an air of like 
alpha. Um, they they were willing to come come to an equal level with the buyer and and be be in it with the buyer. Like I, I'm not trying to teach you everything. Like we're we're learning together or we're exploring together. And once once you have that connection, um, I think that's like a, a next level of being a seller. But it could also apply to to a candidate too in an interview. I really like that, and especially that sort of like getting on their level, right? And and one of the things that I'm always trying to help people think about is how much to share, right? Um, mm-hmm. How much to say, how much to put out there, how honest should you be? And I love they yeah. brought up the British accent thing. That's so funny. Uh, it kind of yeah. reminds me yeah. when I pretended to be uh, Australian when I was working at the <laughs> checkout at Target, just because I was so bored. Just uh, for fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I that was part some, of it too. Yeah, yeah I, part I of it was the past the time, <laughs> the monotony of it. But there's yeah. this um, there's this weird thing that happens in the job search, and I think this is maybe something you can also speak to, as a business owner, um, is this idea that like employees are sort of encouraged to be. I would I would say too authentic, too transparent, mm-hmm. and companies pretend to be transparent to some degree. Mm -hmm. And it creates this imbalance, right? Where the company isn't, you know, in their job description, it's like, we are amazing. We have these huge missions and huge goals. Working here is going to change your life. Everything we do is so awesome. Look at our value statements. And the the job seeker becomes very, um, almost feeling unworthy of working for this company, Mm -hmm. reading through these statements, right? And so then the job seeker who's maybe early in their career or making a change goes in and they're like, I feel like an imposter. I don't feel like I know what I'm doing yet. Um, so I'm just going to tell this company that I don't, I don't even know. I, I'm, I, I, I don't even deserve this job. Right. And I'm always trying to help people understand that, like what the company's not telling you is that the last person quit because they were burnt out or yeah. we just had layoffs three months ago and laid off 30% of the business. And now we're having to rehire. Like they're not telling you that stuff in the job description. Meanwhile, the job seekers coming in, they're like, well, I don't have any experience. So I don't know. I can't answer those questions. It's like, it's almost too much. And I'm always trying to get people to um, speak to the companies the same way the companies speak to you and kind of realizing that so much of the conversation is initially sales and marketing until you can build the trust and rapport and get to something a little more real, right? And I'm kind of curious, like as a as someone who's on the other side and seeing how businesses operate, what are some things that you've seen that might be helpful to calm people down uh, or maybe help them like change the way that they talk about themselves in order to you know, not live in that insecurity so much because you can't really sell from a place of insecurity, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I think that's a really, that's really good advice to give people and, and candidates to put it in perspective for them because it does feel that way for some people, um, especially if they're early in their career uh, where you, you assume every company has their everything together, or if they're like an established company, you assume that all, all everything is streamlined and operations are where they should be, but it, it's almost rarely the case. Um, I think also it, it's important from the hiring end to be really transparent about those things. Like I, maybe it's because I've worked at a lot of hyper growth companies that were never really um, 
let's be frank i mean they weren't organized in every area like we always had issues and i i when i was interviewing people i would let them know because i also want them to know what they're walking into um i would give them all the, the benefits but i'd also outline you know our shortcomings so when they do start the job or if they take it it doesn't feel like a bait and switch to them they, they know exactly what they're getting into in the areas that we we're still struggling with as a company I think that that it's really important that the hiring side is also very clear on that. Um, but for the for the job seekers, um, I mean, they yeah, they like going into with the mindset of, of knowing that like a lot of people learn on the job um, and you probably have experience that you're not able to tie into what you're going to be doing, but it's probably relevant enough to to, to get you to where you need to be um, early in my career. I would I would latch on to. Um, even just like jobs that I had um, that were not relevant to the industry that I was entering. Um, so I would talk about how I was a bellman at a hotel and how I learned from the business executives that were that were my customers, which which we were a very business heavy hotel. You know, I, I would have conversations with them. I would learn what they were going through. I would learn about their businesses. I would ask like really adept questions. And I also learned that whole idea of like building rapport with people quickly because I was carrying their bags up to their room and I had, you know, five minutes to, to make a good impression and, and get my tip. Um, and so even if I was in my early career going for a sales job, I, I didn't hesitate to tie in my, my skills to things that were irrelevant. And as long as the story makes sense and ties in properly, you can, you can definitely do that. Um, so I think that that's something too, that people just overlook is what they've already been doing and how it could tie in. Yeah, I really like that. That storytelling piece is incredibly important. And maybe we'll swing back around to that. We interrupt today's episode to let you know about Career Therapy's Unstuck Coaching Program. If you're feeling paralyzed by job search procrastination and unsure of what to do next in your career, we're here to help. Each month as a member, you will get access to two one-on-one coaching calls, unlimited virtual chat with your coach via Slack, invitations to bi-weekly group coaching sessions, and lifetime access to our eight-part job search curriculum. Want to take your search to the next level? Head over to careertherapy.com and schedule a free 15-minute consultation to chat with me today and see if coaching is right for you. Now back to our show. Um, but I yeah, want to shift sure. a little bit into, into the changes that have been happening in, in the world. And, and so there's kind of three different areas that I was breaking this down into. Um, you know, the first one is technological shifts. The second one is pandemic style shifts. And the third one is generational shifts in, in communications. But let's start with the technological shifts. Um, yeah. You know, you're talking about the boiler room and, and like earning that, that uh, computer time, which is just so fun to think about. <laughs> yeah, um, good times. But... <laughs> What are some of the like biggest technological shifts that you've been seeing, whether it's things that Apple are doing or that Chrome is doing, or, or just things that are impacting our ability to conduct sales the way that it's been done for the last five to 10 years? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest shifts that are coming, uh, I would say within the next 24 months, up to half of email addresses are going to be encrypted and tracking pixels are going to be blocked by default. So open rates and clicks, a lot of the, the information that people get from, from email marketing is going to be gone. Um, so for the software industry, there's almost 200,000 B2B software companies who rely on email marketing and ad targeting, intent, cookies, 
these changes are just they're going to create a, a larger emphasis on different parts of the business that have that exist today, um, but haven't necessarily received as much attention as they have in the past. And so those are things like leaning into their own first party data, the information that they they have on their own website versus trying to buy third party data. Um, and then fundamentally, the next wave of that is was what my company solves for, which is partnerships. Um, that the technological technology changes are going to influence and enhance the the world of partnerships greatly. Um, when you remove access to third party data and buyer signals become limited, people are naturally going to lean into partnerships and partner ecosystems and and to figure out who they know and who they're connected to. Um, because you're not going to be able to go out and make cold calls. Um, it's gonna it's getting much much harder to do that. And pretty soon, cold email is going to be impacted significantly. Um, so those those changes are, are big, and I don't think a lot of people realize they're they're coming. Um, but Apple has already put a lot of it in place for them. If um, you use Apple Mail, you have the option now to have a spoof email address or kind of a made up encrypted multi digit email address that you can use temporarily when you sign up for a newsletter, for example. Um, and you could still receive the, the newsletter without giving out your personal email. And then you have the shift to the remote work now where less people are in the office, less people are actually don't have a landline, but they don't have a work phone. Um, so getting a hold of people with a cold call um, is much, much harder than it's ever been. Um, so there are definitely some of these, these changes coming very soon. Apple has already began and Chrome uh, was supposed to do it this year and they actually just pushed it out uh, until 2024. Um, but within the next two years, we're going to see a lot of, a lot of big changes. And so for someone trying to break into sales now, what should they be doing? What should they be looking into paying attention to or studying in order to be able to be competitive in this new space? Yeah. So all of, all of that being said, uh, things like intent and ad targeting and email marketing aren't just going to disappear overnight. They're just, they're going to evolve and change and shift in terms of the amount of data people can get. So it's not going away. Um, it, it's just, it's changing. And a, a good seller is going to need to be aware of those changes because they're going to impact their their day-to-day. -day. Um, they may not be able to get the level of volume in terms of prospecting and opportunities and appointments through email that they, they had five years ago. And so they need to learn how to evolve with the changes that are happening. Um, so the, it, it really comes down to a seller developing new muscles that are are keeping up with the, the changes. Um, so instead of, you know, grinding on uh, prospecting emails all day, they they'll start to spend two or three hours of their day talking to their partners and talking to their allies and frenemies in the industry to to get intel to find out you know who's looking to buy. Can can you make that warm intro for me? Those things are going to become more valuable. Uh, and a good seller is going to know to use their time more toward those things. Can you dig into what the partnership stuff would look like in, in practice yeah. and, and in the day to day? Because I think this is an incredibly important thing for job seekers as well, because a lot of like 80% of jobs are found through knowing people. Right. And so I'm not sure if it's totally analogous, but, um, you know, maybe break down like what what you mean by partnerships and, and what that would look like in, in both the sales space and maybe even in the in the job hunt. Yeah, I mean, it, 
partnerships right now. So Matt Hines, the president of Hines Marketing, um, recently said, look, the importance of referrals has increased in recent years and only accelerated during the pandemic. Um, so people are, are gravitating more to who they know. And, and we saw this at Partner Portal right when the pandemic started. And there was no more events and conferences. People were at home. And our, our inbound inquiries doubled overnight because people realized that they, they needed to, to use their partners. And so the, the way it would work from a, a partnership standpoint is we're living in this remote world now uh, where I talk to my colleagues on Slack and we have Zoom calls. And I talk to my partners on Slack and companies that are, they're kind of sibling companies, they're affiliated to us. Maybe they're not competitors, but they talk to the same buyer we, we talk and communicate the same way that I do with my, my coworkers. We have shared Slack channels. We have stand-up meetings on Zoom. Um, and it's almost indistinguishable between this operating cadence between my internal coworkers and, and our partners. And that, that's a big change with the pandemic because the way that partners and coworkers are, are engaging is nearly identical. Um, and so what, what you're seeing now is an increase in technology that supports that behavior. And some of the examples would be like what we do, uh, where if I'm talking to a partner of mine and they want to give me an intro or a, a lead, um, they're submitting it through a, a, our system, through a partner portal. Um, so both of us have visibility on what's happening with that deal and we can work the deal together. So there's a, a term called co-selling, uh, kind of similar to co-marketing, uh, where we can co-sell and share notes and, and almost get to a point where we're sharing a, a CRM. Uh, because of the the sheer growth that's happening in that in that behavior, and there's there's other companies too that are popping up from from in technology. Um, one of the uh, one of them is Crossbeam. It's a account mapping is what they call it, and what that does is lets you plug in your CRMs into one system and almost literally share a CRM um, to the point where I can. I can see what companies they're talking to, who are their customers, and I can start to request warm intros. Uh, and, and there's this the collaboration that starts to happen inter like across companies. And, and so that there's a lot of activity happening on the technology side. Um, in partnerships, there was about $250 million invested across uh, dozens of companies in 2021. And we saw some of the largest investors like Andreessen, A16Z, uh, couldn't get into the space, which was which is new uh, to have that institutional capital in this space, but it, it demonstrates just the the changes that are happening right now. Um, and then for the on the candidate side, uh, things like LinkedIn and the the social aspect of being able to find out who you're connected to, who knows who 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 can introduce me, who can get me in into a, a job, become way more important. Um, I've been on LinkedIn uh, for a long time. I think I joined in 2007 or around there. And thankfully I've built up a really strong network that I could tap into, but a lot of people haven't. And they, they decide they wanna go into the job search and they, they don't have those connections that they can reach out to. And so it's important, even if you're comfortable in a, in a job now, you start to work on your LinkedIn profile, who you're connected to um, and start to build that network because at least in my industry in tech and in software, very rarely do you, put in a cold application and, and get an interview. Um, it, unfortunately, it can be very much who you know. And um, whether you're 
getting the intro from somebody that's a colleague through LinkedIn, or you're reaching out cold to the hiring manager, you're, you're most likely going to be using that network to, to get in and get your foot in the door. Um, so yeah, there, there's definitely parallels between the way that people are leveraging technology and networks in partnerships and in the, on the candidate side of getting hired. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, um, <clears throat> it reminds me of, you know, the importance that people put on like, you know, going to college, not just, or going to get a master's, not just for the education, but for the network. Right. And a lot of mm -hmm. times people are, you know, self-taught developers and they didn't go through a boot camp, and they, you know, it hurts their job prospects because they don't have mm -hmm. that built-in support network, people to chat with, people to kind of collaborate with and so on. And it really does sort of showcase, like, I, I like that you brought up that collaborative marketing piece because I think that's more easy for people to understand and, and to sort of see out in the world. Like anyone who watched the Super yeah. Bowl, you see how like a commercial isn't just a commercial for one brand anymore. It's always like featuring two or three different brands. It's almost like how music has changed. You know, it used to be one band singing one song, but now it's like 10 different artists on each each song, you know, in order to get that yeah. reach, in order to get that uh, visibility. And I think the same thing is going, you know, it's just kind of trickling down from these like high media places into our personal lives where it's like, if the number of people that I'll talk to and they're like, oh, I want to be, a marketer. I want to be a nurse. I want to be a lawyer. And then I'll ask them, do you know any nurses? Do you know any lawyers? Do you know any marketers? And they're like, no. And I'm like, then how do you even have a, an, a, 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 how do you even have a basic understanding of what the reality of that job is? Right. And so we get them to go meet people who do these things. And then they are like eyes light up realizing this is absolutely what I want to do. Or maybe they, they kind of freak out because they're like, oh, I had this image in my head of what this was and it's not even close to what I was expecting. Oh, I mean, it, it, yeah, it, and it's so easy today too. Like, it's not just LinkedIn. Um, I, I Like I'm in like six workspaces on Slack um, and each of those other workspaces I'm in are primarily used for networking. Um, it's, you know, different groups of, of my buyers, different groups of my peers, um, other founders and CEOs, like there, there's, uh, there's Slack, there's discord, there's clubhouse. Like you can be on any of these things and picking up tips and, and being able to at least like talk the talk, but also networking at the same time. Um, I, I think it's like actually a lot easier today to gravitate and put yourself in that group and that network than it ever has been prior. Yeah. I mean, I used to have to run home at like, you know, take the train two hours back into the city in order to network with people at like 8 PM at a coffee shop. And they were sitting around just like yeah. bummed out that I was taking so long. Like it's so much easier to just set up a 15 minute zoom with someone, but it still scares people, yeah. you know, especially if you haven't been primed with this sales background, or if you're more introverted or if you're more anxious or anything like that. And so we kind of have to dip our toe in the water and just slowly learn these things. And I think remembering that this is not a gross thing to learn. It's actually a relational thing. It's a connecting thing. It's, it's about, it's about getting to know people and their needs and their wants and just trying to like sort of help in, in any way you can. And, and doing that I think is huge. And it, it reminds me of, you know, even with this podcast, I remember a family member, found out I was doing this podcast and they're like, wait, you have other career coaches on your podcast. Isn't that, aren't they your competitors? And I'm like, if you look at it strictly from a, yeah, I guess like a hardcore business sure. old school yeah. standpoint, but it's like people yeah. hire coaches based on personality. So 
they're going to go with whoever they want to go with based on the vibe in a way. And so it's not really, it's cross promotion, which is, uh, you know, an old school term as well. Um, but these things, they, they all sort of, you know, I guess the adage you would want to say is like the tide raises all the boats. Right. And so if everyone's working together and everyone's kind of supporting each other, then everyone can succeed. Right. Um, yeah. and so let's, yeah, I mean, go ahead. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully a lot of those barriers are, removed even for um like for a lot of minorities that in tech that weren't unable to come in and and get interviews and and jobs and network um there were a lot of barriers and the hope is i hope that virtual capabilities being able to hop on a zoom and meet somebody um not have to go into the city two hours like like your example to to get a coffee but the access, I would hope, is it would increase for everyone to level the playing field, um, so even underserved communities can have the opportunity to to get those jobs and, and move into industries that we haven't seen uh, as much of a presence for as well. Actually, to that point, I had a client recently uh, in Saudi Arabia, and they were very scared to send like a networking email to someone and like do a cold email and. Uh, there was like, you know, gender things at play. There's a lot of societal yeah. things at play, things that I don't even understand, right? Because it's a totally different country. And, you know, they went for it. And the first email they sent out, they got coffee with the person virtually. And then that person immediately invited them to help out on a project. And they've been working That's on great. a project. Like literally the first email they sent worked. And And normally when I'm talking to people, I'm like, have low expectations and, and a high amount of output, but sometimes like that first one can, can really hit. And uh, you know, there's so much, there's so much there. And I think, you know, as we kind of move into the last part of the conversation here, I want to, I want to just kind of, we've talked about how technology has shifts has shifted, how the pandemic has even shifted some things mm -hmm. um, in the way that we interact. And, and, you know, I guess the goal or the hope is that as things open back up, we get a nice hybrid where it used to be really hard to get someone on Zoom, but now it's super easy. But then we can also be in person if we want to, and there might be a nice uh, mix there. But um, yep. when it comes to, uh, this is always a fascinating conversation, when it comes to generational shifts, what are you sort of seeing in the way that people communicate differently over time, right? Like when I was, when we were coming up, you know, phone was the thing, right? And then in our world, it's like email and Slack and, 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 and messaging, right? And then, you know, I think the younger generation is maybe growing up with even, even different um, technologies that, you know, the TikToks and the video and things like that. They're like way more video savvy than our generation, or at least, you know, the generation right before us. So what sort of generational shifts are you seeing? And, you know, are there things that, are kind of being phased out that people don't need to spend as much time on? Or are there things that like, maybe they're not being exposed to enough that they should try and go get some extra, extra exposure to? Yeah, the exposure part is, is big. Uh, if you have somebody who's been in, in a particular industry for a long time, even sales, even in a lot of folks that have been in sales for a couple decades, um, and maybe they've been working at a company that was also not as front uh, forward facing, um, uh, maybe like a, an older technology or an older brand. The thing I've learned is that a, a lot of these individuals just haven't been exposed to 
the tech, tech stacks that are being used um, across teams in, in newer companies. And so when they, they go interview at like a, a new hot tech company or something, a, a newer brand that, that's come to come in fruition, they are overwhelmed by the number of tools and systems that are required to, to operate day to day. Um, this is very true in sales because sales ha has evolved so much. It used to just be email and calls. Um, and now you've got your sellers that are leveraging their own marketing automation with outreach or sales loft. You have people running their own direct mail campaigns with Sendoso and Postal. Um, you have sellers that are leveraging partnerships through technology. Uh, there's just so many different tools that they have to use, um, not to mention Slack, um, which, which most people are pretty familiar with by now, but it's just one additional muscle that needs to be learned. And so, yeah, there's a, a level of exposure that you can't, it's tough to go and learn all of those systems uh, without being in the role, but it, it's even harder to come in a new role and learn those on the job. So it's, it's becomes a very tough position to be in as a, as a different generation. Um, that's probably the most obvious one for me. Um, I, I think what people can do is familiarize themselves with those tools and systems and understand kind of how a, a modern seller leverages all of them together so they can at least have a, a framework of what needs to be done. Uh, but I, I do think that's a, a big challenge for, for generations to come in. Um, with, the, with the newer generations, um, if I'm hiring sellers out of school or, or people that are, want to go into sales out of school, um, they more than likely have, even if after a few years out of school, they more than likely didn't have that boiler room experience that we talked about earlier. Um, so how, how do I get them comfortable on the phone? Um, how do I make them realize that uh, you don't need to take it personally when people are hanging up on you? Um, it, it's a different learning curve for them uh, because they, they've grown up in an era that is very much text-based phone um, email. Um, so yeah, there, there's behaviors on both ends that need to be, to be learned. Uh, and they'll, they'll pick up the, the tech stack process much easier, but there's elements of the sale that they may not pick up on as easy. Yeah. I think, I think that there's sort of a fascinating, and maybe we say this for another conversation, but a fascinating shift in like, even dating, you're getting pre-qualified through an app these days right like like everything yeah. is so systemized and organized and text-based and 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 I think that maybe the biggest opportunity for folks is like how is video going to shape the future of sales and maybe that's something for another conversation but um you know short form video I've seen you know a lot of people instead of writing emails they'll use those apps that allow them to do like a really quick like 30 second video that gets sent via uh, email to someone and, and things like that. Um, but, you know, as we're, as we're looking at all these different shifts and we're, we're kind of projecting into the future, I'd be kind of curious just to get an idea of like, if there was one thing someone could do to help build their confidence in how they talk about themselves. And maybe you can also touch on like the importance of, I guess, a personal brand. Like you talked about the persona that you built early on, but it was like sort of a, a fake it till you make it persona versus like this, like hyper focus on authentic brands today, which maybe is going a little too far in the other direction. Right. Like what, what is something that someone can do to put themselves out there, build their confidence, but maybe do it in a, in a healthy way? What, what would you recommend? Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, when people are trying to build their confidence for a role or for an interview, they, they take the time to go and do their research on the product, on the company, on the person they're interviewing with, um, and, and what they're, how they're going to talk about what they're going to talk about all that stuff. So they, we all invest all this time into this level of confidence that we can project and, and to, to come into the meeting and feel really good about it. However, um, on the flip side, none, the, we're less likely to spend time on our understanding ourselves and, and most importantly, under, on discovering the things that we don't, don't know. Uh, what do we not know about our, ourselves? What do we not know about what are the gaps that we have that we're unaware of? Um, and I think there's a, an intentionality that goes with that in the process that it requires you to sit down and say, you know, here are the things I've, I've been really good at. I definitely want to hit on these things. Uh, but what are the things like, ask yourself, because there's always that annoying interview question about your top three weaknesses, but like, we should be asking ourselves, what are, what are our weaknesses? And we should, we should have awareness around them. Uh, because if, if I'm going to be really confident in an interview, I'm going to be more confident if I know exactly either how I'm going to answer that, that tough question or, um, you know, kind of like be able to validate and, and, and back up the, the areas that I know that I'm weak in. A hiring manager also will respect that and appreciate when somebody has that level of in, intuition and self, self-awareness that they, they know exactly where, where their shortcomings are. But I, I do think that that formulates into this whole idea of, of being more confident is just to, to have that underlying understanding and take the time to spend um, understanding yourself. Yeah. And these things are scary. So, you know, that's why, that's why there's so much information out there that's helping people, you know, explore those things and, and, you know, dig in because without that understanding, we're just babbling. Right. And so it's good to, it's good to dig in. So Eddie, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. This is such a deep dive and I loved it. Um, Where can people find out more about you and what are you, what are you working on these days? Yeah, so uh, partnerportal.io is a company that I'm I'm running right now. Uh, we just raised our our first round of funding. Um, so if you know anyone in the B2B world that that needs a better way to manage their partnerships, we're we're a good place to start. Um, and then feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. That's probably my most used vehicle. I, I'm not a bunch not on Twitter or any of those too often, but LinkedIn definitely is a good good place to start. I love it. Thanks for joining us today, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode today. I really appreciate your support of what we're building here at Career Therapy as we continue to try and explore the hidden side of modern work and tell some of the stories that maybe don't get enough light shed on them. If you enjoyed what you listened to today, I hope you will leave us a review on iTunes Uh, subscribe to this wherever you're listening or watching on YouTube, Spotify, etc. And uh, share this with some friends who you know are going through similar experiences and looking to build their career and, and gain some insights along the way. Again, thank you so much for stopping by and I wish you the best. I'll see you on the next episode.